Namaste and good evening, at least here in Thailand, good evening for all of you. We are continuing our series of uh, satsangs <coughs> in which we are coming close to the long, long enterprise that was the Gospel of Luke, commenting upon the words, actions, teachings of Jesus according to the Gospel of Luke. And we were somewhere in the middle towards the end of the chapter number 21 in this gospel where Jesus was making a very peculiar prophecy. And it's a very difficult text because it is made from the level of Ajna Chakra and because of the way in which it is made, it serves several purposes. And one of these purposes is that it refers to several events simultaneously. We know that at some point these prophecies of Jesus himself, they refer to the fate of the city of Jerusalem, and we know that these things have happened at least two times, and we did not yet encounter the time of the second coming of Christ. So there will be a set of similar events, also on the second coming of Christ. Therefore, the prophecy which Jesus made is referring to three different events in history. The first one of them, which happened 35 years later, after he made this prophecy, so relatively very short after, when the Romans destroyed the great temple in Jerusalem and all that, Then some events which happened at the time of the Crusaders, a thousand years later. And it is possible that in the 21st century, 22nd century, 23rd century, whatever it is, because Jesus himself professes ignorance about the exact time when this will happen. We'll talk about that in a second. Why he does that and how he does that. And therefore, there will be again such events on the event called Second Coming. How can a man say some sentences which are simultaneously true for three different events in history which are separated by a thousand years each? Only the cosmic consciousness can do that. Only the universal mind can do that. It's a sort of a synchronicity, a sort of a resonance, a sort of a music of the spheres which cannot be understood by the person who hasn't seen it with their own third eye. Somehow Ajna Chakra creates this alignment of things that you can take any ill-assorted things and fit them together through a line of resonance. It is the metaphor of Shiva who, to be able to destroy a family of demons, The only way that he could do it was to destroy the three cities of the demons at the same time. And somehow Shiva, with his dance, he manages to get to a point and a time where suddenly the three cities are aligned. And then he draws his magic arrow and he puts an arrow through all three of them. How could Shiva align the three cities of the demons when the demons probably knew? And they were aware of it. And they were, you know, they, they didn't want it to happen. And still Shiva in his cosmic dance 
managed to find a moment. Exactly in the same way, for the consciousness of Jesus, he could have made the simultaneous prophecies for ten events in history. By using words, which through the magic of the language, would have fitted all ten of them. Please remember, the language is not a coincidence. The language, the meaning of words and of sentences and the transmission of the information is not an arbitrary thing. It's not just some primitive man of Neanderthal or whatever who invented words and invented the language. The language is the consciousness of Shiva. The language is the consciousness of God. And therefore, the language represents something magical. That's why it is possible to do things with words, with mantras, with numerology, with a lot, a lot of other things, because language is not a coincidence and it's not arbitrary. Although we live in this Tower of Babel, where people speak a thousand and two hundred languages and dialects or whatever they speak on the face of this earth, language spoken by human beings that have consciousness is never accidental or random. And in this language, Jesus manages to find those combinations of words, like a poetry, like a metaphor, like an oblique speaking, a little bit like the mnemonics that we use in some of the Hatha Yoga, which fit for multiple meanings. They represent several things at the same time. And some people say, man, this is poetry, it's ambiguous, it's philosophy, on purpose, because they have to say what is between the lines as well. So Jesus makes a prophecy which is sort of universal. He speaks, but then you can say, but was he speaking about the events in the year 70? Or is he speaking about events which will happen in the 21st century or in the 22nd century or whenever that is? No, both. He speaks in a way which fits them both. And that is why he never gives exact details and says it will be on a Tuesday when Jupiter will be in Aquarius. Like Nostradamus does that sometimes. He says when Jupiter is in Aquarius and the Mars is in Cancer and this, and then this and this happened, then expect this and that. So Nostradamus is trying to localize some events once. It's one such event because it fits with a certain astrological configuration. But in the case of Jesus, on purpose, he knows that if he goes at a certain level, then he can refer all. And in this case, I'm saying again, I don't know everything which Jesus wanted to tell us, because you have to be Jesus to understand what Jesus wanted to say at that level. I can only say that it seems that Jesus is speaking about three catastrophic events, all of them involving the city of Jerusalem, which all of them uh, happened. Two of them already we know that they happened, but the third one is related with the second coming of Christ, and we know that that didn't happen yet, so we can only presume that there is at least one more occurrence of this. Another formidable reason is that Jesus 
does not want to give a date. He simply says, when the comet will come in and uh, the moon will be like this, and then you will see that this volcano in the island of Sicily erupts, and this and this, then this combination of circumstances shows you that in five days the big things will happen. Jesus never wants to give such precise delimitation. Because, first of all, psychologically, he wants people to be prepared like the second coming of Christ could happen tonight. And therefore, you should be prepared today. You should not say, oh, but the Stromboli volcano did not erupt yet. So the second, then there will be five more days, and then we will know, you know? No, you will not be given such a landmark so as you don't cheat. You have to be prepared constantly. It could happen tonight. It could happen in a few years, it could happen in 150 years, it could happen in 300 years. We don't know exactly, exactly. Jesus, he even made a more bold statement about this in some other time when he spoke about the future and he spoke about the second coming and the judgment day and all that. And he said the time of those events He says, nobody knows it. And he says a shocking thing. He says, not even the Son of God, which is him, knows that time. Only the Father in heaven knows that time. It's like something which is not predictable by the mind. Like God doesn't want it predicted by the mind. Even the people from Shambhala will have a surprise. Of course, they expect it to happen, and they know it could happen any day, but they don't know the date. Shambhala was not informed when the second coming and the judgment day will be. God in heaven wants to keep that strictly from himself. It's a movement of the consciousness on Sahasrara. It's not a decision of the cosmic mind on Ajna. It's something which comes from Sahasrara. Like suddenly, God says, okay, now. But why now? Why not five minutes ago? Why not five minutes later? The answer will always be because. Just because. Like God doesn't have to explain anything to anybody because there is no mental explanation. If God could be explained mentally, then he would not be God. He would be a creature which is chained in the samsara. Consciousness is above samsara. And because of this, consciousness can take decisions which are out of space, out of time. And they manifest like now. Here and now. For God, it's always here and now. And to preserve this mystery, God has chosen that the exact date of the second coming will not be determined. I am very sure that there exists an alignment between our solar system and the coordinates of our solar system, the orbit of the Earth around the Sun, whatever, the vernal points, whatever, and the position of the galaxy or the center of our galaxy. There surely is a geometrical relationship which shows precisely, precisely when it will be. 
and neither I nor anybody else has managed to dig into it and find it. Because simply God has said, no, sit, like you'd say to a dog, sit. And we have to sit. There is, not, there is no permission to rationalize that. If it is hidden to Jesus, Jesus who sacrificed himself for God and for humanity, you realize that all the other people who claim to have clairvoyance and other things, they cannot, they simply are not allowed. Even if the king of the world from Shambhala could, God tells him, Rigdenjiepo, if you love me, don't look into it. Wait until I give the signal. Of course, Rigdenjiepo says, as you wish, my lord, your will is my command. Like I surrender. Therefore, Jesus is making a prophecy which is atemporal. We know that a couple of times this kind of events happened around Jerusalem and with the world, but what he says is not only about Jerusalem. Now the world is much, 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 much bigger than Jerusalem and things which happen in New York or in Moscow or in London or in Rome or in whatever have a lot of importance in the world uh, compared to what's happening in Jerusalem. And thus, um, please realize that this prophecy is ambiguous on purpose, and especially it is ambiguous on terms that you can put the finger and localize some events and simply say, oh, it's clearly now because this has never happened before and this is something which must be right now. And thus, um, let's jump back because there is a little bit more. I didn't have time to finish. This uh, apocalyptic prediction continues. And please be aware of the fact that John, the beloved disciple of Christ, who wrote the Gospel of John, the only one of the four Gospels which I have not commented yet. I don't know if I'll ever get to comment that one. Um, because uh, this one has taken already three years or more, so it's a big job. Um, And uh, people are awaiting for me to comment on other texts and other subjects as well. I already commented three out of the four Gospels of Christ. And thus, coming back to this, in John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote the last chapter from the Bible, which is called the Book of Revelation, or the Apocalypse. And there... He goes and he receives visions in which this prophecy of Jesus is not about the year 70, because the year 70 was not the end of the world. It's not about the year 1070, because the year 1070 was also not the end of the world. And it's about the second coming, so it's about the one which did not happen yet. And there he tries to bring details about that. Because of the divine injunction that you shall not say exactly when, like give exactly landmarks, when uh, there will be uh, the biggest country in the world or whatever, will have a president which will be black or something, you know, like to, we relate to Barack Obama or something, like to, to get a landmark, to say it's approximately 50 years plus minus from this time. No, never, in no way. They all of them say there will be lots of earthquakes, lots of this. I mean, there have been lots of earthquakes, for God's sake. 
Now, recently there has been one where, recently there has been a six degrees earthquake in some place on the planet Earth. You know, like they are all the time. You know? In Crete, yes, of course, I had told in in the Mediterranean, you know, but they are all, they are all the time. There has been, in 2005 or something, there has been the huge one, 9 degrees on the Richter scale, the one from Indonesia, which produced that terrible tsunami. And so, like, you know, they are are all the time. Do you think there have not been earthquakes for 2,000 years, and now we say, suddenly there started being earthquakes, and therefore the second coming is coming. There have been always earthquakes. So then when you say there will be great earthquakes and the water in the ocean and there will be storms and they have been all the time for the last 2,000 years. So under the impression that you give some landmarks, you don't give any landmarks actually. Yeah? And as you are going to see, something from the book of Revelation nevertheless fits and gives us a little bit of something there. So, he says, run away from Jerusalem. That was referring mostly to the early events. Uh, People, there will be great distress, wrath. Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles. And And then, he continues. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. What signs can there be in the sun? Solar eruption is the only thing which we know. And some solar eruptions can be so terrible that they could destroy life on Earth completely. In three days, life on Earth is gone. If there is a flare from the sun coming directly like a projectile, exactly in the direction of the Earth. Of course, if God wants that, it will happen. And we have no way of defending ourselves from that, as smart and as luciferic as we are, that we have conquered nature. And this is a joke, you know, like, One flare from the sun, and we're gone. And thus, what I'm trying to say here is, signs in the sun and moon, and what signs? Solar eruptions, but there are solar eruptions every day. There are cycles every 11 years, where there are bigger cycles of solar eruptions. There are more heart attacks on the planet Earth, because the flares in the sun every 11 years. It's statistically known medically. Therefore, what I'm saying here is what will be signs in the sun, moon, stars. You have to think about it because there are signs all the time. And again, that leaves it ambiguous on purpose. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Yeah, but if you live in Mongolia... You don't give a shit about the roaring and tossing of the sea because you are thousands of kilometers away from the sea in every direction. So this with the sea is something which goes in uh, Israel because they have a shore with the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, which is not really a sea, it's a lake, and the Dead Sea and so on. And you can refer to the sea behaving wildly. But what about when you live in Mongolia? which are the signs. So it's obvious when you, when you think about it materialistically and rationalistically, you can never understand the language of clairvoyance. The language of clairvoyance is convoluted on purpose. It's mysterious. It's double entendre, triple entendre, 
multiple entendres. So in the end, you say you told it to me, and when it happens, I can see it was true, but then we don't know. Man will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He mentions the second time the heavenly bodies. In the book of Revelation, John, when he starts mentioning the beginning of trouble, I think the first or maybe the second of the major troubles where a lot of people are dying, he says a star will stick off, will peel off the heavens and will fall on earth. And one third of the population of the world will die which is a huge number if the population is. That means 3 billion people dead like this. One star from heaven coming to the earth, it can be only an asteroid or a meteorite or a comet of a huge size. And being a huge size, then it will produce like the one which killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. It happens all the time. It is evaluated even scientifically that a meteorite can hit the Earth. A major one can hit the Earth every 80,000 years. And here, Jesus says, signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Men will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That means the stability that heaven is there and we are here is broken. Something from heaven comes to earth. So it is possible that all the final things will imagine in a time like this with chaos and Big Brother trying to do crazy stuff and all that. If on top of this we get a huge meteorite hitting the earth. Then in no time we're back to Stone Age. And those who will survive, they will have to deal with winter because the atmosphere will be totally opaque to the sun for years. There will be no farming, no agriculture, no food. The water may be severely disturbed. Other and other things will happen. So then we are in Stone Age, and it's the rule of the strongest. Whoever has more Kalashnikovs runs the world. It's as simple as that. People, you all know that they are baboons, and when the baboons have no food and they are afraid for their lives, they will do anything. They will do just about anything. And therefore, we are given here a thing that even Jesus relates this. There has not been the heavens, the heavenly bodies have not been shaken in the year 70. Nobody in the Roman Empire or Jewish history notices when the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem and raised the Temple of Solomon down, then there have been comets and the moon was shaking and things. No, there aren't such events. When things were happening in the year 1000 or whatever it was when the Crusaders came to Jerusalem and they were fighting with Salahuddin and whoever and all the turmoil which happened in the medieval times around Jerusalem, there have not been major celestial events or bodies. Therefore, it's obvious that this event, that great turmoil will be related with astronomical 
heavenly events is for the third one, is related to the third one, which is the big one. Like what happened in Jerusalem in the year 70, it's a joke. The Romans were used with raising cities. Uh, there was the city of Cartagena where Hannibal or whoever, this guy who came with elephants and so on, they were, it was in the north of Africa. And they had trouble with him once, and they had trouble with him twice, and after the second time when they beat him, they simply plowed through the land. They put down all the buildings and they plowed and they made farming land. No, like not even the shadow of the city of Cartagena should remain. In Jerusalem, they haven't been. They just destroyed the temple, but they didn't raise out people's houses. They could have been much more tough. And they could have simply said, why don't you just kill them all and we'll bring colonists from Gaul or from Spain or something and fuck these nations here. They are so difficult and so on. They could have done that. Of course, it was not the will of God that that should happen. (laughs) So what I'm trying to say is events which happened 2,000 years ago, events which happened 1,000 years ago are not at all comparable with what was predicted for the last one which is the big one, because it is supposed to be the end of Kali Yuga, and the end of Kali Yuga, either it's going to happen in 15 years from now, or it's going to happen in 315 years from now, it still is going to happen. That is absolutely assured. And thus, uh, it describes great turmoil, and it, the second time here, Jesus himself goes... Jesus' power of clairvoyance is totally superior to that of John. John is given a vision by grace. But Jesus is a Mahasiddha and he can do whatever he wants. No? And therefore, uh, Jesus mentioned very clearly, it says, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. No? That's a beautiful metaphor. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So he makes it clear, now I'm talking about the second coming, which we know it did not happen yet. If it would have happened, we would know today, historically, that Jesus came second time in a cloud with power and great glory. This metaphor is very beautiful because it seems that many times when there have been divine apparitions, there have been special formations of clouds. Like when people describe the miracle in Fatima with the Virgin Mary appearing in Fatima, there were always clouds and strange appearance of the sun or of the moon. Very strange appearance. So, Then he tells them, but it's pretty much useless in this way, he tells them when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That of course means rejoice, but it refers only to the strictly spiritual people. Those 150,000 will rejoice and the rest will bite the dust. Because we know what the situation is on earth today. So rejoice if you are prepared for what is coming. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So he gave some, he simply used this. He said, you are fishermen, you are farmers, you know all the signs. You know when the spring is coming, you know when there will be a storm, you know when the sunshine is like this, you know this. How can you not see the signs of heaven? Because the signs of heaven are like the signs of the earth. There is some concatenation of events. There is some chain of events. When you see that people are as disturbed as they are today, and now I'm meaning about nowadays, these days, you know that something is coming. You know that things cannot go on for a long time in this way because people are way too disturbed. Way, way too disturbed. And therefore, he says it's like with a fig tree. Read the signs. See, the, the, the world, the, the subtle world, the future, the causal spheres, they have the same rules. It's only that it's analogous. It's as above, so below. What's happening is similar in so many ways. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The first of these troubles happened in approximately 35 to 40 years after he said these words. Well, he says this generation will not pass. People averagely were living more than 45 years. So at least for those who are 10 years old, what he said was true. But it's also true that... Peter and Paul and the others, they lived longer lives, considerably longer, and therefore, for them, it was also happening. And therefore, Jesus impresses, but as you can see his slides, he was just talking about the second coming of Christ, and now he says, these things will happen in this generation. By which ones of them? Because the second coming did not happen in that generation. And therefore, He says, I tell you the truth. Truly, 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 I tell you by repeating three times the word. True, 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 I tell to you. And all those formulations specific to the Jewish scriptures. And he says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. This is the whole point. Will that day find you with your anahata open? Will that day find you with your ajna and sahasrara open? What can prevent that? Look, your heart will be weighed down with dissipation. You dissipate yourself. You are distracted in too many things. Dissipation, like you are not focusing on what is important. Drunkenness, which drunkenness can mean a lot of things. You are getting drunk from computers as well, you know, not only from... So everything gets us drunk, which means uh, in a straight of trance. And the anxieties of life, like my food, my clothes, do I have a house, do I have this? So you put energy in all these, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Therefore, Jesus says, you have to be prepared, moderately prepared or well prepared, Because you get a one shot. Those who lived already, for them it's a different story. 
they are in the bardos, those who are not physically on earth, they will receive this event from the subtle universes wherever they are. But those who are on earth, for them, it is very relevant. And he says, don't let this event catch you in a bad mood. Because you'll say, ah, this has happened a lot. I don't know if I should again be concerned with this. Uh, you know, next time when it happens, there's no next time. What are you talking about? And thus, and then he says, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So it's not about Jerusalem. It's not about the Jews. This is a planetary thing. He simply says, it will close on you like a trap unexpectedly, and it comes to everybody, let nobody think that they are not into this. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. If you just say, I was just making an experiment and practicing Satanism this lifetime. It caught you with your pants down. Suddenly the Son of Man came, and because you could say, I did practice some Satanism, I have been to hell, I suffered, I saw that it was the wrong thing to do, then I repented, and now I love Jesus dearly, and I am with God. And then God is coming. Great! It caught me aligned. It caught me in the right posture. I was in the lotus pose when it happened, and like, whoa, it worked. But then it caught me selling drugs or God knows what doing. And then it caught me at the wrong time. Therefore, he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Many will die. They will not even get to see this Jesus. And when Jesus is coming, he will be angry at some. And he will simply say, right now you deserve a punishment. I still love you metaphysically, like God loves you. But for your deeds, you have your karma and all that. Therefore, please be aware that he, the, way, the beautiful way he expresses it, you have to be able to stand before Jesus. Even that is a grace. You can be sure that a lot will be forgiven to you. And a lot will be like, I'm happy that at least you are standing before me. Come to the kingdom of heaven. But at least you have to make it up to that level. And with this, it concludes, and we are getting close to enter into the chapter 22. This chapter ends. So he made a big prophecy in twilight language. Understand what you want to understand. Basically the final message is there will come a time. I can't tell you when. I can give you some bullshit signs which will always work. But they are not capable to predict in advance. Except when it's too late. When there will be a star or an asteroid or a comet falling and hitting the earth, it will be too late for you to buy water from the supermarket to have, because everybody will think about the same thing in the same second. 
And if you don't die instantaneously from the shock, then you will have a run on the supermarkets, and that cannot go too for too long time. And therefore, but what he wants to impress is this. It could have happened 500 years ago, if God wanted so. No? And therefore, you don't know when it happens. And wherever it catches you, you'd better be prepared. I don't know if I am going to catch these events in my physical body, in this physical body, or not. I am even afraid to say that I wish that I will catch them in this physical body. Because the amazement, a spiritual amazement, would be unsurpassed. It would be the most amazing thing to see this with your own physical eyes. It would be a transfiguration and a divinization of your physical body and of your physical life. But the challenges which come together with it, that 90% of the humanity will just die, try to think what, what that means, literally. Yeah? What means about, is there somebody who will bury the bodies? Not when 90% of the population dies. No? Then what's happening? Then you have the plague. Then you have the rats. Then you have like everything is there. So it's like you don't, on a part of you simply says, I don't want to see that because it's going to be so terrible. Like whatever I imagine now, this is going to be worse than the horror movies. And on the other hand, spiritually, you would say, well, I wish I could be blessed with that. So I don't know when it's going to happen because if Jesus doesn't know when it's going to happen, he doesn't let me see when it's going to happen. But that's why Jesus impresses. It's better that you live with a philosophy that each day could be the last day of your life. Today could be the last day of your life. You have to live like that. And that is the beauty of it. Because that's what yoga tells us. That's what so many sages from so many religions and spiritualities told us. Each one in their own way. And that's why this is ultimately... We make predictions and they are bullshit predictions because you don't know when they will happen. And you will always, when you will know, it will be too late. But the point of it is be prepared as it could be tonight. It could be tomorrow night. It could be soon enough. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So apparently his disciples had a spot on the Mount of Olives that's where he was arrested, actually, in the next day. And he was dwelling there and coming in the morning and teaching. What each day? Please remember, Jesus entered in Jerusalem on the Sunday before the Passover. Therefore, six days before the Passover. And therefore, on Friday, he was arrested already and taken from, the, from Herod to Caiaphas, and from Caiaphas to whatever the name of the procurator, the Roman governor, and so on. 
Pontius Pilatus or whoever it was. Yeah. And therefore, Sunday, Friday he did not teach. So he may have taught on Sunday, but for sure he taught Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Four days. So he says every day, Jesus, that was not for five months. It was for four days, maybe five. That was his lifestyle in those days. Now, the feast of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Why? Because people were getting more religious, more fanatic in the big festivals, and therefore a preacher like Jesus was more ready to put dynamite into the crowd. Like, the crowds become very unpredictable and difficult, especially when they are pumped up and in a state of trance, in a state of festival, in a state, you know, in India and so many places, people trample on each other. Hundreds of people died, trampled over by their own neighbors. You know, like, catastrophes happen when people are in these religious mobs. <coughs> people are not very superior when it comes to this. So the priests knew a little bit of crowd psychology because they have been confronted with their crowds for years. They were educated to master the crowds and they were afraid that Jesus with the Passover, with the combination, with everything would be too much because now they had a prophet which was openly aggressive against them, preaching against them that they were bad shepherds. And thus... They were afraid that something will happen and they were trying to get rid of Jesus because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. This sentence is worth a book of commentaries. Therefore, we are being told clearly that Judas did what he did, having his mind disturbed. And his mind was disturbed because someone was possessing him. When we think about possession, we think about possession in the zombie way. That we have the state oracle of Tibet, which is possessed by a demon, and that demon moves the body chaotically and eats food and dances and then tells to Dalai Lama, do this, do that. that this possession is very low level. People always, when they say possession, they expect that some witch from the Middle Ages, she was drinking mandragore or God knows what silly herb, and then they were delirious and making foam at their mouth. And in their delirium they were flying on a broom and going and having sex with Satan and whatever, you know. This is very low stuff. All the shamanic trances, all these possessions where people shake and they are like epileptic. All the poltergeist, the Steven Spielberg poltergeist possession and a hundred others. This is very low and very primitive. Does it exist? Yes. Does it happen? Yes, now and then. Can people produce it on purpose? Yes, by witchcraft, by black magic, like the state oracle of Tibet, which was not black magic, and so on. It 
it can be produced. Here, we are talking about something much more subtle. Because you would not imagine that suddenly Satan, Satan is mentioned by the name, Satan entered through the asshole of Judas and gave him some anal orgasm on the entrance, like a huge lingam, and then uh, Judas was penetrated by Satan, and first he had a trance, epileptic, and then suddenly when he opened his eyes, his eyes were dark, black, because now Satan was looking through his eyes. This is Hollywood. This is poor quality, ridiculous thing. The possession which Judas had was of his mental body. Because we take decisions with the mental body. And remember, Judas was a smart guy. He was one of the most educated of the disciples of Jesus. He could read, he could write, he could count. He was, you know, he was the accountant of their little group of disciples. No, he was one of the best educated, if not the best educated fellow there. So he was ruling himself by the mind. And his mind started thinking something completely different. You should always be very careful when your mind, like right now I think that Swami Shivananda Sarasvati is my guru. And six hours later, he is not my guru. He's an asshole. He's a fat asshole. This means that Satan has entered you, or one of the minions of Satan. In the case of Jesus, Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was an avatar. So the devil involved himself personally because the case was very, very important. And there couldn't be any mistake. But when you are having a problem if Sri Aurobindo is your guru or not, then it doesn't need to be Satan personally. He's too busy for a little fellow like you and he has many other jobs to do in this planet and that's why he will send somebody. That somebody will have the power. But here is the deal. If the devil... And his circle of trust, his circle of friends would have this power. Then why don't they do it every day? To everybody. Every time somebody tries to go religious, the devil enters them and makes them drive their motorbike crazily and break their neck and die or something. Or changes their mind, hypnotizes them. This possession of the mental body is completely unnoticeable by somebody who doesn't have a very good and pure Ajna Chakra. Because you will not notice that it's not your mind. It's not your mind. People are brainwashed with a hundred subjects. Already out there, when you look at this political correctness and what is happening, you will see that there are a hundred things. Black lives matter, uh, feminism, and a hundred other things 
which people never dare to say a word about it. Global warming. The virus uh, COVID-19 does not exist or it could be a biological weapon. This and nobody is allowed. Even the YouTube is cutting you down if you do it. Like, it's simply not allowed to even go there. And then you say, this person didn't do that. Of course, because they are hypnotized. There is a collective hypnotism. No commentator on TV would touch on this subject. Is there a Jewish conspiracy because Rothschild and Morgan and Loeb and some of these big bankers are all of them Jewish? But if there is a Jewish conspiracy, then why do they make experiment on the people in Israel with Pfizer and all these things? Because they belong perhaps to another sect of Judaism and they don't like the normal Jews or something. Or what are they, you know? You read David Icke, he says clearly, these are Sabbatean, it's a Sabbatean cult, Frankists and whatever else they are. It's not the normal Judaism. And thus, what I'm trying to tell you here is, people don't even dare to say a word about this, simply about every all these difficult subjects, because they are hypnotized. This hypnosis is what is meant here. In the moment when Satan possessed Judas, in that moment, Judas did not think the way he thought five minutes before. Something changed. It was like a click. It was not his mind. Suddenly, he realized, wait a second, this Jesus is dangerous. Now, I've been with him for six months or something, and this Jesus is a dangerous fellow, and he's not right. And I think many of the miracles which he did are just cheating of some sort. No, maybe he works with the power of the devil. He's not from God. Like, why would he think all the wrong things? Because somebody was thinking these things inside his own brain. He was overpowered. It was like... This wrestling, arm wrestling. Somebody arm wrestled with his brain and his brain was coerced to think something. There are demons, demonic entities. Of course, the gods can also do that, which can do that very easily. What's the deal? The deal is that it's not allowed. Within some parameters, it's not allowed. The law of God does not allow it. If you want, there is like a pact in which the devil says, God, if you don't do it on people, I also don't do it on people. We both hold our horses and let people in the middle, in the crossfire, to see what they choose. But if you possess one, I also have the right to possess one. It's quid pro quo. Otherwise, it's not a fair fight. We are not fighting a game of chess. In the game of chess, one player has 16 pieces and the other player also has 16 pieces. If one has 16 and the other one has 5, guess what's the result of the game of chess? No, it doesn't work that way. And thus, there is a divine pact. The forces of evil are accepted and they are because they serve a purpose in the spirit of God, 
And that purpose which they serve is with some rules of engagement. And the rule of engagement is that in daily life, people are not possessed by the devil. The devil is not given that permission. We don't know how to explain it in all the details. Some people say that this kind of possession takes a huge amount of karma and a huge amount of energy. And it's exactly like you have one atomic bomb. And you keep it for the best moment to use it. You don't use it chaotically. You can use it once. Once in a thousand years. Then you have to be very calculated about when you will use that weapon. And the same here. Well, with Judas, that was the right time. That's when it was the time to use it. And the big boss himself, the dark boss himself, he got involved personally. Like now, we are using the one atomic weapon. And that is to possess Judas. And if God would have said, no, you cannot possess Judas. But God did not because God wanted Jesus to be crucified because the whole sacrifice had to go through. It was like a ritual in which Jesus was the sacrificial lamb and he had to be crucified and he had to die in a bloody way for humanity because otherwise the redemption wouldn't have happened. The magic ritual, the divine magic ritual wouldn't have happened. And that's why mysteriously God stepped aside and allowed Judas to be taken. That's why, first of all, none of you would want to be in the position of Judas. Remember Milarepa, who, no, like, how can we compare ourselves with Milarepa? Whatever yoga I have done in this life, whatever results I have had, can I measure up with Milarepa? I'm a joke compared to Milarepa. There is the same cosmic consciousness that he has seen, and I do see, by grace, by whatever, but his siddhis and his proficiency in yoga is something gigantic. And therefore, what I'm trying to say here, somebody poisoned Milarepa, gave him rat poison, or God knows what poison it is. First of all, how are you not afraid to poison Milarepa when this guy is flying through the air and has a rainbow body? Like, how much of an imbecile you have to... How much hate do you need to have so you even don't realize that if this guy is not perfectly moral and ethical, he will zap you to death if you make him angry. Like Shiva putting his third eye on Kamadeva, you know? He can burn you to pieces in a second. No, like how how blind do you have to be? How much hate, how much envy, how much desire for revenge do you have to have to poison Milarepa? Poison doesn't always work. They poisoned Rasputin and it didn't work. So what if Milarepa wanted to use a city like Rasputin in his Manipura to burn down the poison? What if the poison which was sold to this person was adulterated? Why, what if it had expired already? 
What if you want to put some poison in the noodles of Milarepa, and suddenly Milarepa feels and throws them away? Or he says, you eat to somebody, you know? And they, the poison doesn't get, the poison doesn't, all the poisoning doesn't always work. There are so many imponderables to this, and still somebody poisoned Milarepa. Because Milarepa, I guess, allowed it to happen in a certain way. He knew he was going. He knew his time had come, and he had to make a grand exit on one hand. And therefore, the devil entered that fellow. So, not only Jesus had his Judas, Milarepa had his Judas. Many others had their Judas. Look a little bit in the history of spirituality, and you'll see that even Rumi and others, they had some Judases around them. Always around the spiritual master, there appears a Judas. And everybody prays, let me not be that Judas, because what do I do if the devil enters me? Then I'm defenseless. I act like a puppet, and then people will say, you did it. And I'm going to say, I can't remember. I don't know when I did it. I don't know how I did it. Uh, It was not me. It was the devil possessing me. A very complex situation, and it takes a lot of Ajna Chakra understanding to understand this divine game and its rules. Please understand, first of all, from the standpoint of God, there was a permission for this to happen. No, because Jesus said clearly, if my Father in heaven doesn't want it, not even a hair on your head will be touched. And then three months later, he gets crucified. What does that say? It God says that if God wouldn't have wanted Jesus to be crucified, it wouldn't have happened. That means God, we cannot say in the active mode that wanted, but he let it flow in that direction. Anyway, he did not intervene to stop it. And if you don't save a life that you could save, a court of law will condemn you for involuntary or whatever manslaughter because you could have saved somebody's life and you didn't. You didn't stop it from happening. And that, in legal terms, I'm trying to speak in legal terms. And therefore, from the standpoint of God, the time was okay. There was a permission. There was a green light for this. And then why didn't the devil go into John? Why didn't the devil go into Peter? Peter was a coward. A few hours later, he was asked if he was with Jesus and he lied three times in a row. And he said, no, no, I don't know this guy. Peter was a fucking coward. And why didn't the devil choose him? Do you think the devil was tossing a coin? No. There's always somebody in a group which is the weakest link. Like, it's obvious from this that Judas was not believing in Jesus as much as John and Peter. It's obvious that Judas was not loving Jesus as much as John and Peter. It's obvious that Judas had multiple doubts about Jesus and some of the accusations which were brought to Jesus by the high priests 
that he is with the Romans, he is a traitor, he will weaken the nation of Israel. Better one man to die than the whole nation to be destroyed. That he works with the devil, that he is a false prophet, that this and that. All these things were already in the mind of Judas. And that was not because of Satan. That was already there. Judas was rotten inside. And because he was rotten inside, it was allowed for the devil. If the devil would have tried to take John or Peter, first of all, God would not have allowed it. And secondly, that person would have been so torn inside that I love Jesus to death and now I suddenly feel that I want to sell him. That person could have committed suicide. That person could have had a a brain seizure, an aneurysm, a heart attack and died on the spot because of the tension. So the devil would never choose one of these fanatics, one of these people committed to the goal. You cannot do that. And that's why Judas was not coincidentally, he was the weak link. And Jesus already knew that, and it was predicted, it was prophesied, and he knew. And therefore, Judas was there for this purpose. There is a gospel called the Gospel of Judas, if I remember correctly, which even claims that Judas consciously knew that it was necessary for somebody to do this job so that the sacrifice of Jesus can be fulfilled and that he and Jesus had a secret deal because actually there is a paragraph in which Jesus looks directly at him and says, whatever you've got to do, do it quickly. No, like... It's almost like Jesus knew and had a deal with him. If Judas was just hypnotized in a trance, completely knocked out by the devil, and he was acting like a moron into a trance, or if there was a deeper deal somewhere there, that is to be elucidated again in the Gnostic Christianity and so on, they had some theories that it could have been that Jesus arranged everything from Alpha to Omega. Otherwise, the point is only that Judas was inspired negatively by the devil himself. Please remember, Judas is not the only one. We live on a planet where Jesus said that the devil is the prince of this world. That the devil had been given temporary rulership because it's Kali Yuga and is the age of darkness and therefore the ruler is very dark. And because of this, this dark ruler, which is not God, inspires many people. When people have been inspired to do great, dark things, ugly, terrible, dark things, not only killing and maiming, but a lot of other things, then 
They were inspired either by the devil personally or by one of the thousands and millions of diabolic entities, demons, satanic entities and others which exist in this universe and which serve their dark master. And therefore, here the Bible tells us without any equivoque. Then Satan entered Judas, one of the twelve. So he was not himself anymore. He was fertile ground, like he had doubts. And then from there, it all went downhill. He was chosen to be the rotten link in all this combination, in all these circumstances. And Jesus said it afterwards, it would have been better for that man if he was never born. Because to be chosen to be the channel of that, and that to, then to know that you have done that, it's the greatest tragedy for the soul. Imagine that Judas was a living soul. How can that soul live with this even if it lives a hundred lifetimes one after another, and if in any one of them he remembers what he has done, how can you live with that? Because that is like an eternal shame. It's like an eternal problem. So, Satan entered Judas. What's happening? You don't feel anything. You don't know. Because he didn't enter through your anus, expanding your anus muscles and you feel like a penetration. It's nothing. You don't feel anything. Satan entered you and you think you are yourself but you actually you are like drunk, like drugged. You are in a trance and you act. Actually when people are drunk and drugged they are possessed. But they are not possessed by Satan. When you are drunk you are possessed by the spirits of alcohol. When you are smoking marijuana, you are possessed by the spirits of marijuana. When you take the mescaline cactus, you are possessed by mescalito, the spirit of that cactus. And thus, possession, it's always, sometimes you feel it, some, you, can, you can bet that if Judas would have stopped for a second and would have said, why do I feel really weird since this morning? I've said, I'm like, the earth is shaking. My balance is like I'm drunk. I, I feel a feverishness in my whole body. It's like I don't feel my body clearly anymore. Judas, with some vipassana, he would have noticed that he is not himself anymore. But he did not notice, and because this possession was so radical, like bang, he could not. It was like irresistible, irresistible, simply. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he, may, he might betray Jesus. That's all you need, one traitor. It's like, what, what, Jesus was doing something wrong in terms of legality or something? No, he was not. No. In a court of law, 
he would have been okay. But it just takes one person. Either the person does something right or not. They were delighted. Which means they didn't say, wait a second, this guy is a dubious prophet. But he's one of our brothers, you know. No. They were already possessed by Satan for life. These people were sold to Satan since 10 years ago, not knowing it consciously, of course. And therefore, when somebody came to betray Jesus, they were rejoicing. If they would have been like the king of the world from Shambhala or like Milarepa, they would have started crying. And they would have said, Judas, brother, what devil is possessing you? How can you think like this? Please don't do this monstrous thing. But they didn't. They were delighted. Who is delighted? The devil was delighted. So they were from the camp of the devil. Obviously. Jesus said, if you would be with God, you would love me. But because you are hating me, it shows clearly that you are not with God. You cannot expect that Ramakrishna is delighted when he sees somebody killing Milarepa. Ramakrishna is crying. Like, what humanity is this? What kind of a planet are we? What kind of fucking baboons are born in this Kali Yuga that we can do such shit? And therefore, they were delighted, which shows clearly who they were, what they were, and agreed to give him money. But please believe me, they gave him 30 silver coins, it's a famous symbolic sum, and so on. The guy wouldn't, I mean, the guy could have asked for a ton of gold for selling Jesus, like things were really big. It was not the sum, because he got a ridiculously small sum of money compared to the importance what it was. The money was just symbolic, just to put him down, just to put him to shame, to say in the end you are just a traitor, like all, you know, like humiliating him, which later made him commit suicide by hanging. No? It's not this. It's not, he did not do it because of the money. The money was not the reason for which he did it. He did it because he was doubting Jesus. And when he was doubting Jesus, then Satan amplified that a hundred times over. And then he found himself like, okay, okay, this Jesus tonight has to go before the priests and show them. Either he is the Messiah or he is a cheat and the fake, and all that. Which is something which he should have never done. He should have never done. He consented. I don't know why the Bible presents it like the money was a factor. In my opinion, the money was the least of the factors which mattered here, because the sum was ridiculous. If they would have given him half of the treasury of the king like tons of gold, then you could say that the money was worth it. But 330 silver coins was by far not worth it, especially for an educated, smart guy like Judas. He knew it was not worth it. And therefore, there must have been something else much more bitter involved into this. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Obviously, they couldn't do it 
before the crowds because the crowds loved Jesus and they would have defended him. After Jesus was taken and beaten and judged and proved to be weak and mocked and whipped and so on, then the crowds let him go. Because you can say, why didn't the crowds defend him 24 hours later? Because the crowds are fickle. That's the psychology of the mob, of the crowds. When they saw Jesus spouting and accusing and so on, they said, this guy is like God. When they saw him beaten and mocked and fucked in the ass, then the crowd said, yeah, okay, how could we uh, support such a guy? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, for a moment, yeah, we, but no, no, look, look. The Romans beat the shit out of him. So what kind of Messiah is this? Crowds are changing their mind. And these people were geniuses in manipulating the crowds. A little bit more. So we are being warned. Okay, the times were ripe. The priests wanted to catch him. Judas was going to help. Jesus taught for four or five days. The population was in a sort of an uproar. And then the things start happening. And we enter a little bit in the events because I still have about 10-15 minutes. Because we enter with the evening just before that happened. The Last Supper, which apparently would happen probably around sunset. Like in all these Middle Eastern countries. Supper is a matter of the first star coming out which means 6, 7 o'clock after sunset. And events happened later as well. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. As you can see, Jesus was following the Jewish traditions. Like if it's a Passover, why not celebrate it? Because it meant a great thing at the time of Moses when it happened and all that, you know, crossing the Red Sea. And it was a time when God had opened a lot of miracles and helped a lot. And therefore Jesus was like, we we respect the roots. We go along with the roots. So he was celebrating it. Where do you want us to prepare for it? He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. This is clairvoyance. Like Jesus had this or knowledge that he had, he could see. That's why he can see the second coming as well. But he is not allowed to tell us the details because the Father in heaven wants to keep that as a surprise for everybody. And therefore he says, because you can imagine that Jesus did not arrange with a guy to wait for five hours in front of the entrance of the gate with a bucket of water. And then he tell him, look, when Peter and John are coming, then pretend you are going to the house of uh, Walter and enter there. And John and Peter will follow you and they will discover Walter and then they will tell him what. A... This was not arranged. Jesus could see it. He said, by synchronicity, 
a man belonging to that house with a pot of water, and there will be the only one with a pot of water, because otherwise you see five of them and you say which one of them we should follow, there will be a clear, a man with a pot of water right there. Follow him, go to the owner of that house, tell him, and he will know who I am, and he will be very pleased that I chose to his house to spend the Passover. This is the knowledge of God. This is what when we talk about God, we say about God that God is omniscient, that God knows everything. All-knowing. In English, in Latin, from Latin, omniscient, omni-tient, omni-knowing everything, all-knowing. Yeah? Jesus was on the verge of his divinity completely. He was in that state. He knew what was coming. And he was telling to people, look, just do like this. And of course, when it happened, and they followed that man, and they went to a house, and they told to that guy, the teacher, Jesus, in case you don't know who the teacher is, says, we'll come here with the whole gang, and we'll take the dinner supper here, the Passover, and so on. And that guy would say, I don't like Jesus. Where the fuck did you get this, that I'm happy for Jesus and you, bunch of fishermen, to come to my house, you know? No. He was completely on. And when he heard it, it was like he was hit by the lightning. Like, what? Jesus wishes to come to my house? And if, oh my God, you can have not only my house, but there's a house of my brother near here. You can have everything. Yes, please come. This is all knowledge. This is omniscience. That by synchronicity, Jesus knew how to spot the exact. And that soul, the man with the house, was not one of the twelve apostles. It was not somebody. It was somebody who had a house in Jerusalem, was a resident of Jerusalem. And therefore, this is how it is exactly. And he even know he will show you a large upper room. Jesus, have you been there before? You know this guy? Or is it something that you can see with your mind's eye? Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Okay, I will not want to go into the ceremony of the Passover because this ceremony of the Passover is the New Covenant. This part of the Bible with the four Gospels is called the New Testament or the New Covenant. And the New Covenant means the deal which Jesus, which God made with people. God made a deal with the Jewish nation who were the first people in the Western Hemisphere to discover the monotheistic religion, that there was a God of all gods. And he made it with Abraham when he asked him to sacrifice his child and Abraham was ready to kill his own boy. And then God said, come on, man, I'm just kidding. You know, I just wanted to see if you're crazy enough for me and so on. And then he made the covenant to cut the skin, the circumcision for the boys to lose their foreskin. And that would be, it's said as a formula, as a mantra, when boys, when Jewish boys are circumcised, it says, this is the seal in flesh of the covenant between Abraham and God, between God and Abraham. So there was a covenant. That covenant was slightly modified with Moses. 
Because Moses brought afterwards the Ten Commandments and he said that God doesn't just want you to do circumcision. God wants you to follow the Ten Commandments and he took you out of Egypt and he did this and so on. So now become like this. And then Jesus comes and he is the new covenant. Like now, a thousand years after Moses, there is time to improve on the deal. Because the deal which was done via Moses was not yet the best. What not, was not enough on Anahata Chakra was not spiritual enough. And therefore, it was a good deal which made the Jews a very special culture, a very special spirituality. And now with Jesus, they would have gone the next nine yards, the whole nine yards. They could have gone all the way till the end of the Kali Yuga, till the second coming of Christ. So there is a new covenant. This new covenant is enacted like in a magic ritual by Jesus during the Last Supper. That's what the Last Supper is. Like Jesus preached and preached and taught and taught, and then a few hours before he was arrested, when things could not be controlled anymore, after that it was just hell. But until that hell started, Jesus in the very last moment, he gave the new covenant. Like from now on, you relate with God like this, like this, like this. These old things are still valid, and you have to add to them and improve on them this, this, this. And therefore, I will leave that for next time separate, when the hour came and Jesus went into that room. That room is like a temple. People are still visiting that room in Jerusalem, in the old town, where allegedly these things have happened. I say allegedly because historically there are some things which are strange, and because of this, there are two such rooms in the old city in Jerusalem. And historians cannot decide exactly which one of them it is. This is uh, the incapacity of modern science. Uh, What I'm telling here is this. Everything was ready from the grand finale. And the grand finale was that Jesus, like a mage, did the final covenant, the new covenant between God and mankind. Then he was sacrificed and his blood was poured over this covenant to seal it. And then, of course, a couple of days later, the resurrection came. And like God stamped the deal with the resurrection, like God says, yes, that's it. Now I'm on into this. So, um, this will be separately commented. We are somewhere in the middle of chapter 22 at the paragraph 14 which will follow next time when we start most probably next week when we do the next satsang with this let us finish for tonight thank you all for joining and we are preparing for the final events and things described in the gospel of Luke with this we have finished for tonight